In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's times where Phil and I, we just, we just, we walk and we pray, we walk and we pray, we go and we pray, and we, we think about you. We think about your lives. We discuss you. We pray for you. We, you know, the Bible says when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And when you're going through stuff, you know, it's the job of us. It's our, not our job, but our love to know where you are, to know what's happening to you, and to try the best we can to pray through it, to partner with you in your suffering as you're partnering with Christ in your suffering, to get you through it. Amen? We may not be able to come to every person and hands-on and, and counsel you and walk you through it, but that is not what God intended. God intended that he would walk you through it. God intended that he would get you through it. You know, sometimes, you know, does it astound you sometimes that good people go through bad stuff? That good people, great people, amazing people? You think, you know, we get this thing sold to us in this uh fluff and bubble Christianity. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be fantastic. Your whole life will change. Everything will just be great, you know, and your bills will get paid, your body will get healed, the, you know, the kids will stop rebelling. Everything will happen. It's just going to, you know, you're going to have a great big house and you're going to drive a Merc. You know, it's just going to be great. But how many of you know that that's just not real? You know, it's time for the church to be real. I remember a time back in, um, say, the 80s, uh, when we were first coming into the church early 80s, you know, it was like everybody just pretended. It was like, oh, how are you going? You go, amen, brother, and they'd carry around the big Bible. Amen, brother, my life is so passionate for God. It was like, I'm not American. You know, it was so good, it was so good, you know, and then you'd be dying at home, but you wouldn't dare tell anyone because, you know, behold, the new has come, the old has passed away, and everything's great. But it wasn't really great, but no one talked about it. No one was real about it. But you know, God, Jesus was very real when he died on a cross. It was very real. His pain was very real. His suffering, and he talked about it. He lived it. Amen? And it's time for the church to be real. There's time for us to discuss what's going on and, and not put just, you know, the wardrobe over the hole in the wall but, and not be the dysfunctional family but really get with each other, discuss what each other is going through, and carry one another's burdens and love each other. Amen? That's good. Amen. Because that's what it's about. I remember I was at a wedding just recently and a woman, you know, said, asked me, I've got this question to ask you about God. Because one of the questions that people always ask is, if God is, you can take that scripture down, thanks. Just take them down when I finish. If God is a God of love, if God is a God of love, why does bad stuff happen? Why do people go through stuff? And I said to this lady, you're a parent, aren't you? She said, yeah, yeah, I'm a parent. That's my daughter over there. I've got another daughter. Yep. So what would happen with your kids from the time they were born if you gave them everything they wanted every time they wanted it? When they stomped their feet and they demanded that ice cream, you said, yes, darling, have two. You know, everything they wanted. And what would happen to your children if you just walked alongside of them every day of their lives so that nothing bad happened to them? They go to fall over, you catch them quickly. Lucky I was there, didn't fall over, did you? 
You know, you're there, you're talking for them, you're walking for them, you're doing everything for them so nothing bad happens to them. How many people know people like that? Well, I tried to be like that with my kids. It didn't work too well. After a while, they just get off, mum. I remember with Jilly, she was in a, you know, she was my first, and they said I couldn't have children. So I've got this brand new baby, and it's just like I'm overwhelmed with this baby, and nothing's going to happen to this baby. And I've got a rope on her cradle that's on wheels, and I'm vacuuming. And she's just, and I'm pulling her. Because I'm not going to leave this baby alone because nothing's going to... How many of you know that if God did that to us, not, not only would we be spoiled children, we'd be shallow, awful, fearsome, disgusting creatures that had no life of their own, no will of their own. We might as well have made ro- robots if we was going to do that. But God knows better. <laughs> He's a good dad because he lets us live. And he's there for us all the time, but he lets us live because he knows something happens through this living. Is that right? Yeah. Have you, have you ever looked at the eyes of someone that's been broken, someone that's gone through stuff? Usually they're the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. Usually they're the people that wouldn't hurt you because they know what it feels like to hurt. Usually they're the people that will put their arm around you and can have compassion for you because they know what it feels like to go through what you feel. I mean, I'm looking around this room now and there's there's not one face here that says, well, you haven't gone through nothing. Everyone has gone through something. Even young people, you're facing stuff every day, every day, every day. And that stuff is doing something. In you. Do you know the most meaningful relationships are formed around tragedy? How many, I, I mean, I, I just, you know, when my dad was uh, passing away and we were in that room, in, you know, what is that room called where you go? Uh, yeah, the waiting room for like serious cases. What do you call that? Intensive care. You know, it's my dream one day to have a chaplain in that room. And someone like Gail to go in and put some flowers in there and, you know, and put some love in that place. It's such a, it's the most disgusting, depressing place ever. But how many of you know that you look in that room and there's relos there that have been called because their loved one's passing away or they're really ill or whatever. And suddenly relos that haven't talked for years are crying together, weeping together, hugging each other, talking in the same room. Tragedy brings people together. You know, pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose, and I reckon God's doing something in us. Even in sickness, you know, sometimes we think, God, why? Why would, why would I be sick? Why would God do this to me? But do you know what it does? Trials cause you to be dependent on God willingly. Not like God saying, you have to depend on me, but you get to a point where you have to depend on God because you've got nothing else. Why do you think miracles work so well? You would do great, Graham, if you went over to Asia right now. I mean, Graham and Irma could walk into Asia right now. Any of us could. And just, you know, we're here for miracles, and they'd come running, and people would get healed. Why? Because they can't afford doctors. They've got no money for medicine. They've got no other way out. They have to run to God. There's no other way. And so they get healed. You see? But we can say, well, you can pray for me, Pastor, but I've got a packet of pills in my pocket, and I'm going to see the specialist on Monday, and... If that doesn't work, well, he might. 
You know what I'm saying? We've always got a back door. But it's, it's this place of dependency on God where God wants us to rely on him. It's this place where... It's this place where God can bring us where no one else understands where you are. Ever been there? Ever been to that place where no one... You try and tell people. You try and tell people and they just don't get it. Or they try and be compassionate with you, but they don't, they can't get in your world. They can't get in your head. They can't get in your body. They can't feel what you're feeling. They can't, they can't walk it with you. No one can walk it with you. No partner, no parent, no friend can walk through what you're going through. It's a place where, where you, you just have to completely rely on God. And you know, it's a place where you can no longer rely on the strengths that used to get you by when smaller things would happen to you, say something not as large would happen to you, and you could rely on your personality to get you through. You know, oh, yeah, I'm going through a tough time, but yeah, I'm cool. I've got this personality. I can just put the face on, put the smile on, and everything's fine. But you know, when something major happens to you, you can't do that anymore. You can't rely on your personality. You know, it's like it's not there. You know, you might rely on your fitness and your, you know, your, your physical appearance. If something happens to you, suddenly, suddenly your physical appearance is taken away, your fitness is taken away, and you can't rely on that anymore. You might rely on your talent. You know, suddenly you just can't sing anymore. There's no song left. There's no dance in your step anymore. And God gets us to this place. I'm doing a painting at the moment. It's a bit embarrassing because I'm a beginner, but I just want to share it with you because it really means something to me. Can you just put that up there? I kind of, I'm kind of painting this with the intention that it would just bring forth something of this place that I'm talking about, this place of kind of in between, this place of falling from somewhere and, and God catching you. And this is, an ex- this, this is a, a painting that I'm painting from a song lyric. And I feel like it's this girl like, is part of our pain, part of our place where we just come to the end of ourselves and we just fall. You know, one of the key scriptures that the Lord has been giving me over the last 12 months is be still and know that I am God. And I just saw this girl falling out of all the stuff, just coming to this resting place. And the scripture, the, the song that I wrote this out of is called, it's these lyrics of this, cover me under a blanket made of many stars. Cover me under a blanket made of thousands of stars. Sing me to sleep while the angels cradle my fall. And I, I saw all this as like angels just cradling the fall where she's just falling and getting caught by angels, getting caught by the glory. As motionlessly I drift into something, something so deep. This feeling is heaven, and you are all I can see. Jesus, you are beautiful. That's why I wrote, I painted this out of those lyrics. Thanks, Garth. There's this place where God lets us get to. He lets us get to this place where we're just floating on angels, covered by stars, in a place in between somewhere we're going and somewhere we've left behind in a place where we don't feel like we can rely on our own self and our own strengths anymore. And it's in that place that God does his greatest work in us. 
It's in that place is the place of greatest glory. I don't understand it totally yet, but I'm starting to unravel it. Let's have a look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and then we'll try and unpack this a little. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Read it again. But he said to me, my grace is made sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In the next part. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't make sense, does it? But if we can unravel this, you can take that down. Thanks. There's, there's something so rich in this verse. And, you know, sometimes when you just read it in the English, it's not as rich. Because how many of you know that we have, you know, kind of one word for things, like we'll say good and it's good for everything, it's good pizza, good this, good that, good that. Love is, you know, I love you, I love my dog, I love my cat, I love movies. It's just, but in the Greek and in the Hebrew, they had many words for these things that expressed them a little bit more clearly. And so in this, in this scripture here, there's a few Greek words that I want to emphasize. The first one is this, work together. So it says that we know that all things work together, is a Greek word called synergio, which is where we get the word uh, synergy or synergism. Can you put that up for me? Stay with me, yep, great. So synergio meaning synergy or synergism. Now this is what synergism is. The combined action of two or more which have a greater total effect than the sum of individual effects. The combined action of two or more that have a greater total effect than the sum of the individual effects. Let me explain this. So what he's saying here in this word synergio or work together or synergism is that God is promising that he will take all the bad, all the evil, every attempt of the enemy to destroy your faith and indeed to destroy your life and through his miraculous power Make all these things into something good. All this stuff, he brings it together and makes it into something good. In other words, we'll put this up. The next part, thanks. Pain plus devastation plus despair plus difficulty plus loss equals good. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? Can someone bring that little thing over for me? Just leave that up there if you don't mind. It's so quiet in here. Like, hello, is anybody getting this? Like, hello. It's all right. I know, I know it's serious, but, you know, I feel alone up here. Please. Sorry, Luke's here now. Luke's. Luke. Okay, so we're just going to do a little cooking demonstration here. Just hold that little. That's all right. You can sit down, sir. Okay. We can take that. Okay. Great. 
All right, so what we're talking about is that all this stuff together, all these yucky stuff together makes something good. Okay, so I just need someone that would be willing to taste test for me, young person, maybe. You might need a drink of water. Is there a spare bottle of water? Great. Who's a, just, okay, you only have to taste one thing and someone else can taste something else. But yeah, you might have water afterwards. Okay. Come over here, Jake, over this side of me. Okay. This is flour. Okay? Yeah, you better take some water. I don't want you choking on the Do you get asthma? Okay, you're safe. Eat some flour. Is that nice? Does it taste good? Okay, have a drink. You can sit down. Next volunteer, you can have that water. Look, you just got blessed. Okay, next person. Come on. Come on. Come on. Butter. Who wants butter? Who likes butter? Jelly's good for the baby, Jelly. Okay, no volunteers. Okay, butter. Mmm, yum. Good stuff. All right, sugar. Who wants sugar? Hey, Reese likes sugar. I'll make it smaller. We'll start. Bigger? <laughs> sugar. Oh, it's castor sugar too. It's nice and soft. Mmm, yummy. Yummy. Okay. Okay, lucky last. Yum. Yummy. Raw egg. Raw egg. Raw. Oh, it's got some. Yeah. Ready? It's got shell in it. It's got shell. I don't do shell. He was going to drink it, but he decided not to do the shell. Okay. Now, who would agree that all that stuff's pretty yucky on its own? I mean, no one wants to go and just dish me up a bowl of flour, Mum. It'd be great. Raw egg would be good for dinner tonight. Even sugar on its own, not right, not real great. But who knows, all the ingredients together make something yum. So, who wants to taste muffin? Come on, Nathan, it's yours, buddy. But you have to run fast. You get the good. Thanks. So do you understand that word now, that all things work together? So you might have a bit of pain, a bit of flour, a bit of devastation, a bit of egg, a bit of despair, some nice butter, some difficulty and loss, you know, some, what else, sugar? That's not really sugar, is it? But all together, it makes something good. God is working together. God's working together. Good. Now let's look at the word good. He just doesn't simply say any, you know, good like we say good, like everything's good. But the word he uses here is agathos, good. If the Greek word kalos was used, right, 
That would mean, just leave that off for a second, Alan. If the Greek word kalos was used here, it would mean constitutionally good, which means something well made that perhaps looks good may not be of any practical use or purpose. God's not talking about constitutionally good. God's not talking about making something good that's just looking good maybe on the outside but it has no purpose or use on the inside. The word he uses is agathos. And agathos means this, good and profitable, useful and beneficial. You're saying to me, Pastor Julie, that the things that I'm going through in my life now, whether it be sickness, whether it be a marriage breakdown, whether it be financial destitution, whether it be depression, whether it be, you know, just stuff that I'm trying to work through in God that I'm not getting victory in. You're telling me that all this stuff coming at me is actually working together for good and profitable, useful and beneficial stuff in my life. You're telling me, Pastor Julie, that all things work together, are synergized to bring forth something that is useful in the master's hands. Are you telling me, Pastor Julie, that this pain is going to make me a better person? Are you telling me that this stuff I'm going through is going to get me decreasing and him increasing? Are you telling me that more of Christ is going to be formed in my life? Because I don't feel like that right now. You know, some people are looking and saying, my life's great right now. Yeah, well, maybe you need this sermon in another couple of weeks or listen anyway. Because life is life, amen? There's nothing worse than going through something and trying to put a good face on and trying to look like the appearance of good when inside you still feel disabled. But this is the kind of good that God's talking about. That when he works in you, you don't have to put a face on, you don't have to pretend, you don't have to give the appearance. Good is actually working in you in the midst of the bad. Not when it's finished, in the middle of it. Yeah. And you can't see it in the middle of it. You can't see anything except what you're going through. But God is working it anyway. Amen? He's working it through. I know that, like, in the last 12 months, you know, this, this illness that I've been through was very debilitating. You know, to the point where I couldn't hardly speak and I couldn't hardly function. I think it was two months I just sat in a chair and stared out the back door. I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. And there were times where I felt like, you know, I just, I couldn't even do anything except just cry out, Jesus. And I couldn't feel him around me, but I knew he was there because of his word. And I would just read the word and know that through the word that he would be there with me even though I couldn't feel him. But that place where you're just totally in this, this place of despair and, and discouragement, disappointment, depression, and sickness, and the whole thing's wrapped around you and you just can't see your way out, you can't feel your way out, you can't do anything except like that picture be still and know that I am God and rest in that place and know that good is working in you. And I went to a, a pastor's um, 
women's get-together a couple of weeks ago. It's the first time I've been in two years. And I walked in and, you know, of course people were saying, gee, you've lost a lot of weight and, wow, you're so thin. What did you do? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to go on this diet. <laughs> you know, so I just said, oh, yeah, you know, you know, just changed a few things in my life. And you don't want to go there, you know. But this one pastor was there. She's an old friend. And she came up and she said, Jolly, you look so great. You're so thin and everything. And she grabbed my arm. She looked into my eyes. She went, I went, why? You've got a new spirit, haven't you? It's new. You've changed. And it's beautiful to me. Whatever's happened to you is beautiful. I just went, I was shocked. She didn't know what I'd gone through. No one knew. I was shocked. I went, what do you mean there's some good coming out? Starting to come out? Starting to shine? Starting to touch people? Now I'm a better person than I was 12 months ago? Yeah. I like myself better. My husband likes me better. My kids like me better. You guys probably like me better too. You have to say that. Come on. <laughs> See, the Lord's not referring to a synergistic work that can put a good face on or perhaps even say it's okay. Yeah. Giving an outward expression and an appearance that everything's all right, but inwardly we're still disabled. No way. He promises us to transform all the bad in our lives that is, and, and then change that into good fruit. Good works, profitable and useful. Amen? It's like pregnancy, Jill, isn't it? I mean, very few changes that occur in a woman's body in pregnancy you could describe as good. All the women are laughing. I mean, you know, Jill would know this. She's throwing up every day now. That's not good. Amen? You start to get pimples. You start to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror. You look different. Then you start to lose your body and getting fat and all the shapes changing and there's pains and your rib cage comes up and your wounds coming up and there's all this stuff going on inside and, you know, and then it's just like sleepless nights. And I said to Fiona, I said to Matt the other last week, I said, it must be nice that you're able to cuddle up next to Fiona now that you're married and all that sort of stuff. He said, yeah, if I can get past the five pillows. She's got one between the legs, one under her stomach, one in her back, you know. These changes are not described as good. But the beauty of what is growing inside will one day be seen. One day I'll be able to hold Dilly's baby and say, my God, Jilly, we saw a photo the other day. She had an ultrasound, like she had an ultrasound before, but this ultrasound was just the ultrasound above ultrasounds. She brought it over, and just like the little toes, you can see them. You can see the little cord thing? And they said while they were doing the ultrasound, the baby put its feet against the wall of Jilly's womb and then pushed itself off and went flying back into the other side of the womb and then swam back and did it again. And they were watching. And the doctor said, this is a very active baby. I thought, Andrew's genes would have to be. You know, I can see it, you know, jumping off trees and stuff now, like 
no, it's going to be a girl. I won't do those things. And he wants a boy to jump off stuff. No. Not when, they, not when I'm the grandma and I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> but isn't that true? I mean, this woman, I mean, the woman knows something's going, so she can feel it kicking and she's trying to tell the husband, you know, I used to lay with, feel, with my belly against his back while we were in bed and then I'd, and the baby would kick his back all the time. And I'd wake him up, did you feel that? Did you feel that? No, I feel nothing. Let me go to sleep. And it's just like, this thing's growing inside me. And it's all yucky and I feel yucky and I feel horrible, but there's something beautiful and one day everybody's going to see it. Amen? In France, if someone is introduced to an expectant mother, you know, in other cultures it's like you don't want to say anything just in case they're just fat. You know what I mean? I did do that once. I said, oh, you're pregnant, are you? No. <laughs> what do you say? Sorry, you know. Um, but in France, it's the it's politeness, and it's expected in their culture that if you see an expectant mother, that you would walk up to them and you would say "Je vous félicite de votre espérance," which means "I congratulate you on your hope." That's what they say. I congratulate you on your hope. There's something in that. You know, if we could just turn our thoughts around to see things the way God sees them instead of the way we see them, when we see someone going through despair or something like that, I congratulate you on your hope. They go, boop. You know, no. Because it may look messy on the outside, but what's growing on the inside is so beautiful. I congratulate you on your hope because this is the birthing place of the character of God within you. This is the birthing place of the deep compassion that you're going to have to love them the way God loves them. Amen. This is the birthing place of your ministry. Amen. Amen. You want to lay hands on the sick? There's no better way to get some miracles happening to get one happening in your own life first. I know that. When God healed me of the incurable disease, I was willing to lay hands on anything that moved because I knew God healed me and I knew it was true and I knew it was real and nothing could change my mind. It wasn't just fanciful faith. It was real because God did it for me. And there's no better way than to fight for your own miracle in the midst of your pain, in the midst of there's a miracle waiting to happen. When all you have left is Jesus. That is the birthing place of the miraculous. Amen. That's the birthing place right there. This is the birthing place of change. Change. We don't like change, but change is good. And change is great, especially when it's a change that works together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. In the midst of the storms, we must find center. And Jesus is the center of our storm. Amen? We cannot be so consumed with our storm that we forget to stay in the center. Who knows the most precious place, the safest place to stay in a storm is the center of the storm. If you can get to the eye of the storm, you are safe. Amen? People run away from a hurricane. But if you can get into the center of that hurricane and stand, you're safe in the center. Right in the center of the storm is your safest place. Right in that place is the secret place of Jesus. Right in that place is the place where he will meet you. 
Right in that place is the place where he will give you the word. The word that you need to hear at that time, at that place, at that moment. The word that will just bring something into your life called hope. Hope. See, in the middle of despair, the thing that is the most tragic thing we can lose is hope. Because hope is the anchor to your soul. The word says hope is the anchor to your soul. And if you lose hope, your soul's just like flying around in the atmosphere, tossed around by every wind of doctrine, tossed around by every demon, by everything the enemy says to you, by every circumstance, and you're stuck in this place. But we have to have hope. And hope comes from faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Amen? Hearing from the, you need to hear something from Jesus. You've got to get to Jesus. You've got to hear his words. You've got to have hope. I congratulate you on your hope. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Romans fifteen thirteen, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.24, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Against all hope, Romans 4.18, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said about him, so shall your offspring be against all hope. In other words, when there was no hope, Abraham in hope believed. When there was nothing, there was nothing to stand on, there was no solid ground, there was nothing to stop this onslaught against you. Hope is the anchor for your soul. In Mark 5.25, we read about this woman with an issue of blood. And it says this, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This is hope deferred. This is hope deferred. This is hope that is dying. I've spent all my money. I've gone to every doctor. And instead of getting better, I'm getting worse. Anyone ever been there? Amen. But somewhere inside this woman, she knew she could just get to Jesus, that he was the hope, that he would give her hope, that he would give her something. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Something happened when you touch Jesus. In this place where there's no hope, but you still reach out. In this place where you don't even sense that he's there, but you still reach out and touch him. In the place where your body is racked with pain, where your mind is all over the place, where stuff is coming at you, there is a place that you need to get to, and it is in Jesus. She said this, I'm going to get to Jesus and receive my healing. 
my breakthrough, whatever it is that you need in your life, you've got to have the same determination. I am going to get to Jesus. Deep within you is a spirit of faith that's just waiting to be resurrected. Deep within you is a child that's being formed, a, a, a character that's being formed, that, that you've got to look in the mirror and say to yourself, I congratulate you on your hope, for God is working good in me. You've got to get to Jesus, whatever it takes, touch him, whatever it takes, crawl if you have to, crawl if you have to, but get there. But get there. Even if you can just touch the hem of his garment, not see his face and not feel his presence, you can just touch the hem of his garment. It's in Jesus. Amen. There's a choice we must make to either lose ourselves in despair and in pain and in the stuff we're going through or rise up, reach out and touch Jesus and receive hope the new day that's going to be birthed and emerged out of your pain. Amen. I just want to read you this story of a famous composer called Handel. He was and has been a fossil, a relic, an old fogey, but it hadn't always been so. As a young man, George Frederick Handel was the talk of all England, the best paid composer on earth, and his fame soared throughout the world. But the glory passed, audiences dwindled, and one project after another failed, and Handel grew depressed. The stress brought on a case of palsy that crippled some of his fingers. And Handel's great days are over, wrote Frederick the Great. His inspiration is exhausted. Yet his troubles also matured him, and his music became more heartfelt. One morning... Handel received a collection of various biblical texts from Charles Jennings. The opening words from Isaiah 40 moved Handel. He got the right word at the right time. The Lord spoke to him. And the words were, comfort ye, my people. In the middle of your stress, in the middle of your pain, comfort my people. Amen. On August 22nd, 1941, he began composing music for the words. And 23 days later, the world had Messiah, which opened in London to enormous crowds on March 23, 1743. Handel led from his harpsichord, and King George II, who was present that night, surprised everyone by leaping to his feet during the Hallelujah Chorus. From that day, audiences everywhere have stood in reverence during the stirring words, Hallelujah and he shall reign forever and ever. Handel's best work came out of his worst pain. Amen. And so shall yours. And so shall yours. Out of your greatest place of suffering, and even if it's not your suffering, but you're partnering with someone in suffering and going through it with them, the best is yet to come. Amen. The best is yet to come. You're in the middle of a struggle right now, and I want to say this without you punching me. I congratulate you on your life. 